are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. All right, so tonight we conclude our series on the Acts of the Apostles. And I pray that you've been inspired to grow in your understanding of this key book of the Bible. And I hope that we never take for granted this great truth that is a part of the foundation of this congregation. And our interest in the book of Acts should not be limited to what it speaks to us solely concerning salvation. And we talked about the genre of Acts the very first week that Luke was writing for a very specific purpose. He wanted to confirm the teachings of the apostles. And he did this not just by sharing their personal experiences and exploits, but also by giving his readers greater context for all that happened in the book of Acts, what they did and what they taught people. And so last week we got into how Luke actually accomplished this through key themes that we find throughout both Luke and Acts. Because remember, Luke and Acts were written as companion books. Luke is volume one and Acts is volume Two. And so um, I know we have some people that have joined us tonight that haven't been with us the last couple of weeks. And so I wanted to quickly review the theological themes that we went over last week. They're not exhausted by any means, but there were four that we felt like were especially pertinent to us. The first one was the revelation of Jesus Christ. We've got to remember that when Luke was writing Acts, who Jesus was and is was brand new revelation for most people, right? Of the four gospel writers, Luke gives us the most information about the birth of Christ. Even Linus from Peanuts quotes Luke's account. This is very significant, everyone. One of the reasons, it is in my house anyway, one of the reasons for this was that Luke was laying the groundwork for the case that he was building for who Jesus was. And Luke emphasized the supernatural elements that accompanied both Jesus' arrival to planet Earth and his departure from planet Earth. If you remember, both are very, very significant. And so Luke was intentional also in his use of names and titles for Jesus. And this is so amazing. The next time you read these books, pay special attention to this. But throughout Luke and Acts, Luke uses very specific language. He uses terms like Savior, Lord, Christ, the son of David, meaning Jesus was the Messiah, the son of God, the son of man, all these different ways Luke describes Jesus because he wants to make sure we understand who he is. And the second theological theme we talked about was the work of the Spirit. We see Luke trace the work of the Holy Spirit all the way from the beginning of the birth narrative when Jesus is born. From there, to the day of Pentecost. However, we understand that the work of the Spirit is not limited to the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. 
Luke makes certain that we understand the Holy Spirit was everything that Jesus said it would be in John chapter 14. Luke writes in a way to emphasize the fact that it is the Holy Spirit of God that is guiding the disciples through the book of Acts. Salvation is a key theme that runs through Acts. And we see this through the many stories that Luke chooses to share with us. Through passages like Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 16, and Acts chapter 19. We see the consistency of the message and practice of the disciples. That John's baptism was good. It was one of repentance, but that's not where everything ends. That they baptized those who had not been baptized yet in the name of Jesus. That they laid hands on those who had not yet been filled with the Holy Spirit. How did they know that? Well, Luke lets us know he, they asked the people every time. To confirm whether or not they had had these experiences. And finally, they knew that they had received the Spirit when they heard them speak in tongues. The Bible uses those words over and over again. And then finally, the inclusion of the marginalized women The poor and the disabled is another theme that Luke chooses to follow throughout Luke and Acts. It's evident that Luke paid special attention to the needy and to the poor. And I mentioned last week, I can't help but wonder if this is the physician in Luke. That he already had that awareness naturally because of what he did professionally. Of people that were suffering and hurting and very, very limited and destitute in that ancient time. But throughout Luke and Acts, we see Luke, and I love him for this, take care to note special roles that women had in the stories that he told. We see this through their involvement in the life and ministry of Jesus. And we also see this in the book of Acts through their leadership and their service to the early church. And finally, it was Luke who recorded that Jesus stood in the temple and read from Isaiah in Luke chapter 4 verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. It is significant for us that many of the physical healings that Jesus did in his earthly ministry, the disciples replicate in the book of Acts. Luke wanted us to know it wasn't just Jesus that healed people. But he chose to do it through his disciples after he left the earth. And we believe as Pentecostals that he still does that. He still uses people to pray for the sick that they would be healed. Because Jesus established from the very beginning of his earthly ministry that the gospel was for everyone. And that he would do anything to make it possible for them to hear it. And so this was a key element to the culture of the early church. They came together to form a new community, one that was completely inclusive, which was quite the opposite of what it had been in time past. There were lots of changes that took place, but they shared what they had 
with one another. I want to read these verses uh, to you tonight, and I wish you would pay special note to what Luke tells us. Acts chapter 5, verses 32 through 34 say, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Isn't that beautiful? And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. Can you imagine a world like that? For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. I think based on that, we can say the early church did a great job of doing what Jesus said he came to do, to take care of people. Amen. And so tonight... We want to conclude our study on Acts with three points of insight that the Acts of the Apostles give us concerning the structure and the mission of the church. Now, we've established the fact that Luke's writing was both scholarly and intentional. And we've tried to follow the threads of the themes of Acts so that we can see more clearly the importance of what Luke chose to share with us. The stories, the details that Luke includes are intended to do much more than just paint a picture of us of what the early church looked like. But we as restorationists, right? remember our theological word that we learned, believe that the modern church should reflect that first century church in our mission and in our teachings. Now, this is not to imply that the book of Acts is a complete handbook on how to have church. It's not. But it doesn't give us every detail. But what it does give us, we realize, is significant. So, As we will see tonight, what Luke tells us about the first church helps us see a few fundamental principles by which they operated as individuals and as a body of believers. So the first insight we gain from Acts is the mission, that the church is to be missional. We are not left to wonder what the mission was of the early church. It's not some secret code encrypted in everything that happened. But it is everything that Jesus said it would be in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Remember, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And as a purposeful historian, Luke shows us all throughout Acts, how they fulfilled that mission that Jesus gave them. And so we must acknowledge tonight that much of the opposition that the early church faced was a direct result of their devotion and their effort to do what Jesus commissioned them to do. If you've been reading the book of Acts, think about some of the things that you have read. It was not all a bed of roses, was it? There was some difficulty. Luke doesn't hide from us the fact that just because they were on assignment meant that everything was smooth sailing. We have no doubt, based on what we're reading, that 
They were doing exactly what Jesus had trained them to do. And they were doing exactly what he had commissioned them to do. We don't doubt the power of the spirit that was at work among them, right? Think of all of the miracles and wonders that the Bible tells us the disciples accomplished. And yet, we know there was opposition. There was problems in the early church. Doesn't that make you feel kind of good? I mean, I, I, I feel better, I guess, at least in my position. If you've got leaders like Peter and Paul and there's still problems, well, there's hope for us. We're going to do, we're going to be okay in Jesus' name. The early church experienced persecution. Luke thought we needed to know that, that there were people and there were forces in that ancient world that opposed what they were doing, even though they were doing what Jesus had told them to do. The early church even had disputes among themselves. <laughs> Can you believe? I wish I could do that like dad did it. He did so awesome. But they disputed among themselves. Can you believe that? There was bickering. And I hate to douse this Pentecostal fire with some reality tonight, but I have to stay true to the text as a restorationist. There was trouble in the early church at times. There were forces within the church and without the church that they were dealing with. And Luke shows us that things happened and they weren't all good things. That people were imprisoned, that the church was persecuted. And to put it bluntly, the church did not always agree on how things needed to be done. They had to answer new questions. There were new problems. What do we do with new converts? What do we teach them? What do we require of them? The church is growing by the thousands and we can barely keep up. They also had to deal with the practical elements of the mission. Who's going to take care of the widows? What are we going to do with all of this money that's coming in? Who's going to handle the business of the church. And this leads us to our second insight that we see from studying Acts. And that is the concept of governance in the early church. That although we see the Spirit directing the first century church, it was not without human governance. Robin Johnston puts it this way in the book we've been using. Even before Pentecost, Acts implies some sort of human governance. And I want to highlight three examples of this quickly for you. The first example we see is the choosing of Matthias, the man who took Judas's place. We're going to read Acts chapter 2. Verses 21 through 26. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he, meaning Jesus, was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias, and they prayed. And said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. I believe it's worth noting that this takes place in the upper room. 
the place where they were meeting together and praying, waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Now, we don't see the disciples cast lots in any other scenario in the book of Acts, okay? Let's just go ahead and put that out there, okay? But what we do see in the scenario is consistent throughout the book of Acts, that they pray together, that they make a decision together. And then Acts chapter 2 verse 14 lets us know they stand up together with Peter on the day of Pentecost. Isn't that awesome? This powerful picture of unity even before the Holy Spirit was poured out. And so we see clearly in the first two chapters the idea of divine and human partnership. The second example is the appointment of the seven to administration. And it's found in Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 7. And I just want to tell you that there are some tough names here. And I've practiced them. And I'm a little nervous because Pastor Tom is in here and he is looking for an opportunity to mock me. And that's fine. But it's all Greek to me, so I'm just going to try. All right? So, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochacus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These, thank you. Thank you. I'm sure I did something wrong. Tom will let me know. But these, they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So clearly, we see God's blessing on this decision. This very practical element of we need seven people to focus on the issues of getting the money to the widows, and taking care of the poor and the needy. And Jesus blessed what they were doing. And it is interesting to realize that two of those seven, the first two that we listed in those verses, Philip and Stephen, go on in the next two chapters back to preaching the word of God. And so I have to take this opportunity to say, to make a pastoral remark That if you feel called to the ministry, specifically to preaching and teaching, it is very important that you make yourself available to whatever the church needs. I can assure you from personal experience that if God's call is on your life, God will get you through every door. He will create every opportunity that you need to make full proof of your ministry. But he cannot do it if you wait for only the doors that you expect to walk through. Amen. 
And so we see this in the life of Stephen. The Bible lets us know he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of wisdom. And Stephen, this precious man, humbled himself and submitted to those disciples to say, you know what? If I don't need to preach and teach right now, then I'm going to take care of the widows because that's what the church needs. Because that's part of the mission of the church. Amen. And you will never miss out on God's will for your life and your personal calling, making yourself available to do whatever needs to be done. And we see it in the book of Acts. And the third example of governance in the book of Acts is the Jerusalem Council. I love this story in Acts chapter 15. And we're going to read only verses 24 through 31. But if you're not familiar with it, it's a very fascinating chapter in the book of Acts. And I just want to stop and say how much I appreciate our brother Luke not just giving us the incredible highlight reel of what was going on in the early church, but he lets us know there was some trouble with these spiritual people and the great revival that was happening. There were some difficult moments. There were some tense moments that these amazing people had to navigate together. So let's read these verses quickly. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For this is the key right here. It has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And so they're dealing with this problem of there were people speaking against the Gentiles coming into the church, even though they had received the Holy Ghost. They had been baptized, and yet there were people that were saying, it's not okay. It's never been done this way. It's not okay. And so we see powerful disciples like Peter and Paul and Barnabas get up and speak at this council, this gathering of church leaders, and they prayerfully seek the hand of God to say, what do we do? We have got to do what is right. We have got to stay true to what we're supposed to teach, and we've got to stay true to the mission. And I think it's especially important for me to pause and say that we see James, the brother of Jesus, lead this council. I think that is so cool because there's Jameses all over the place in the New Testament. But this James that Acts 15 talks about is actually Jesus' stepbrother, if you will. And that's amazing. And so in verse 28, James makes this compelling statement that I think is very important to us, that it seemed good to us and to the Holy 
spirit. We see James trying to balance this divine governance and this human participation, this idea of accountability both to the spirit of God and to each other as members of the church. It's significant that we see the most prominent leaders of the early church involved and submitted to this whole process. Nobody said their piece, got mad, dropped the mic, and walked away. Right? They took turns speaking, and they prayed together. James led the meeting, and then they agreed very prayerfully on what was decided, and they worked together to communicate it to the church. None of those disciples went rogue on this decision. None of them went rogue on any mission recorded in the book of Acts. And in Acts, we see clearly examples of unity, of accountability, of partnership and submission in the early church. Luke makes a point to let us see this specifically among those powerful anointed 12 disciples. No one was exempted from church government in the book of Acts. No one was exempted from the divine order that they were working with at that time. And so in this, we find important direction and safety for us as the modern church that balance is possible. We can follow the leading of the Spirit and not end up in crazyville. Because God has set up his church to be unified and to be accountable to each other and to be submitted to one another. And we'll keep each other from going off the deep end. That's the plan of God. Think about all of the things that happened in the book of Acts that were unprecedented, that were incredible. There was so much that could have gone terribly, terribly wrong. And yet we see this order, we see this unity, we see people being added to the church by the thousands. Why? Because they were submitted to each other, because they were accountable to the Spirit of God, and they were accountable to each other. And this is our assurance that we don't have to compromise what we believe in order to accomplish the mission of the church. They certainly didn't. They had meetings over what they were teaching because it was that important and they still accomplished the mission. And then the final thing that we see are the gatherings that Luke lets us know they met from house to house and they met in public places. Now I have to acknowledge to you that we don't know that much about what those gatherings were like. Luke doesn't really tell us outside of Acts chapter 2 verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so here we see the key elements of their gatherings. There was preaching and teaching the doctrine. There was fellowship, which that Greek word actually means much more than just hanging out together. In fact, one of the commentaries that I read said it's very difficult to describe what that word means in English, but basically their lives were completely intertwined. And then the breaking of bread, which could have also meant that they were um, sharing the Lord's Supper together and not just eating, although we are very Pentecostal around here and we love to break bread, don't we? We love to have donuts on Sunday morning. Yes. And then the final thing is prayer. All right, so it is app time. 
And I've got two questions for you, two options. And the first question is, what theme in Acts can you yourself better apply to your life? We've talked about lots of different things. Um, And then the second option or the second question, if you get to it, is in what areas can the Calvary Church grow to be more like the first century church in the world that we live in today? All right, so we're going to get our music going and be inclusive, talk among ourselves for a couple minutes. All right. conclude your discussion looks and sounds wonderful thank you for talking to people around you I'll invite you to stand with me as we conclude our study on the acts of the apostles I want to say that um, our devotion to scripture as Pentecostals hopefully motivates us to be students of the scripture I know that some of this has been kind of maybe dry or more academic than what you're used to, and that's kind of the idea, really, if I'm honest with you. But one thing that I have learned personally is the more intentional you are to dig out of the Word of God, to understand it for its true context and meaning, there is so much depth There is so much to be gained, and it's not just for you. But I believe that as we grow in Christ and God starts using us to speak to people and to speak into their lives, we realize that what God is doing in our lives, what he's showing us in his word, is not just for us. But it's so that the Holy Spirit can work in our lives and quicken us like it did in the book of Acts. We see that even in the midst of great trouble and turmoil, that God used those great men and women to give them an opportunity to be a witness and to be a light. And that even when they experienced opposition, as they came together in unity with one another and in the unifying power of God's presence, the kingdom of God was propelled forward. In spite of the circumstances, in spite of the difficulties that they were dealing with. And I truly believe as a Pentecostal, as a restorationist, that the closer we get to the return of the Lord Jesus, the book of Acts church is going to be restored fully before Jesus comes. I truly believe that. I believe that in terms of unity. I believe that in terms of diversity. And I don't just mean that to mean race only, but I believe that more women are going to be involved in leadership and see them find their place in the church because we live in a culture that embraces them 
and releases them to do whatever they want to do. Well, guess what? We've got the hand up on that in the book of Acts. That's how Jesus established his church. And I believe that as the Holy Spirit is poured out in the last days, we're going to see more miracles. We're going to see signs and wonders. People are going to know that we have been with Jesus just like they did in the book of Acts as they observed the disciples. And so I want you to pray with me tonight very sincerely that whatever maybe you discussed in terms of personally, man, I I need to be more aware of the marginalized. I need to make effort to help the poor and to look out for the disabled. Or maybe I need to understand the plan of salvation better so that I can explain it to someone else. Or maybe it's something you just feel in your heart, Calvary's got to do this. Calvary's got to have a life group that does this and facilitates it. Whatever the Lord is speaking to you, let's pray about it together as we conclude this series tonight. Jesus, I love you. I thank you for your word that is so powerful. There's so many ways that it speaks to us, not just personally, but somehow, God, you even inspire us for other people. You motivate us for the church. You put dreams in our heart. You even give us visions of what's possible. And so, God, I pray that whatever you have spoken to us as a church through our study of Acts, Lord Jesus, that that word, that those things would just be planted deep in our hearts. God, that we would make it a matter of personal prayer and commitment, God, that as you would lead us and guide us, just like you did with the disciples in the book of Acts, Lord, that we'll open, we'll go through doors that you open, that we'll share your word, Lord, with truth, that we will be committed to the mission of the church like never before. Open our eyes to see the opportunities that you would trust us with in Jesus' name. Let the Calvary Church be a book of Acts church, not just because of what we believe about salvation, but because we love the poor and the marginalized. We believe in who you are, God, and we want to see your work accomplished through all of us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Go with us this week. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.